Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. Take your Bibles with me this morning. Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, where we've been residing for some weeks, looking at the application of all that Paul told us in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. We move through that fourth chapter looking at our our worthy walk through spiritual giftedness, through unity, through newness, through love, through the light, through the wisdom that he provides for us. And then Paul points to this institution that God put in place, this institution of marriage. And that's where we're going to pick up this morning in Ephesians chapter 5, verse uh, 22. Verse 22, if you found that, if you'd be so kind as to stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word. And this morning, let's approach his throne of grace through his mighty word. And it reads like this in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless... Let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Father, this morning we come to a difficult passage with a heavenly meaning, the reflection of which is your church. So this morning as we approach your throne of grace with your word, you fill us with your love and your understanding that we may leave this place being more like Christ. Make very little of me very much of yourself, that you may be glorified. This we pray in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. If you remember last week, we started looking at God's plan. God's plan, we looked at the fact that that God has put into place this marriage. And the message that we started last week will continue this week and a couple of weeks in advance is getting back to the creation marriage, getting back to what God put in place at creation for the marriage, all for his honor and for his glory, and as an example of what his church should be. If you remember last week, I noticed I'm seeing a lot of you back that were gone last week as I preached on the wives. I hope that's no indication of of what I was going to preach, but last week we stepped in and talked about the wives and the wives' responsibility. If you remember, Paul starts out there in the 22nd verse with a command to the women saying, wives, submit to your own Husbands, we looked at what it meant to be submissive. Being submissive did not mean that you were the whipping post or that you were the slave of your husband, but that you were what God put in place in Genesis when he said, I will make for man, for Adam, a helpmate. 
a helpmate, one to come alongside, to be a completer. As he set Adam in place over the family, over the marriage, he put the woman in place to be the completer. Lord knows how short I would fall in my ability to do what God calls me to do in both the family and in my ministry without my wife, without my wife being there as, as my support. I hope, and you're welcome to corner her up and find out if I've been doing it okay, but I hope that in her submissiveness to me, she's felt the love that I am to give her as, as the command also comes to the husband. Yet the wife is to come in in a submissive role. It doesn't make her less of a person. We talked about it last week. God created each one of us, man and woman, in his own image. If each of us are created in his image, we each stand in the same place before God. And even though we stand in the same place before God, we've each been given specific duties to do to accomplish the ministry God has for us. And we looked at last week as the wife being submissive. Submissive, as it says in verse 22, just as to the Lord. Just as to the Lord. I tried it this week. It didn't work out so well, but I told Wendy I demanded she started calling me Lord around the house. It took a lot of makeup to cover the bruise under my right eye this morning. That's not what it says, that, that we're supposed to be the, the Lord over her life as in telling her what to do, but we are supposed to treat her as Christ treated the church. What woman would reject, reject Christ's love in her life? Therefore, what woman should reject the love of her husband in her life if the husband does what he is commanded to do, which will be the focus of our, our discussion today. For you see, God painted a beautiful plan, a beautiful plan with one purpose, that if the world outside looks at both our marriages and our church, they should see the man Jesus Christ. They should see God in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They should see the submissiveness, submissiveness of Jesus to his Father as he nailed in the garden and said, if there's any way possible, I would love for this cup to go away. Yet, God, if it's your will, I submit. The world needs to see a solid creation marriage in each of our homes. What's wrong with our world today? I believe it started when the marriage was attacked. When was the marriage attacked? In the book of Genesis, if you remember. And the attack has not stopped in the days ahead. The days from that time to now and the days in the future, that attack will still be there. And Paul, warning against that, said, Wives, submit to your husbands. Now, wives, aren't you glad to know that he didn't stop there? <laughs> because he turned there in the 25th verse, which we're going to start on today. He turned to the 25th verse and, and he commanded the husbands to do something. It's no short uh, coincidence, I don't believe at all, the fact that you only see verses 22, 23, and 24 to the wives. But as we read that, if you notice, we spent a whole lot more time talking to the husbands <laughs> from Paul's writing. I believe there's a reason to it for that. <laughs> I don't know about the rest of you guys. You may not be willing to admit it. I've had to over the course of my life. It just takes me a little longer to get it. <laughs> it takes me a little longer to get it. I think Paul knew that whenever he wrote this because he very simply could have written, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And had I been in tune with what he was saying, he wouldn't have had to pen anything else. But he did. And we're going to look at it this morning. So he says there in verse 25, he starts off with the command, husbands, love your wives. Just as last week, as we looked at each of those commands, each of those things he said to the wives, as I read scripture, it brings to my mind questions. And I hope it does yours. It brings to my mind as I read this particular passage, what does it mean, love your wives? 
If you remember sometime back as we were going through the very first parts of the book of Ephesians, we ran across that statement of love somewhere, if you remember. We ran across that statement and we stopped and we looked at what love is. This is where, unfortunately, in our English language, we fall short because we use the word love for anything that, that really makes us feel good, doesn't, don't we? Today, the word love has been so twisted and turned in, in our culture, in our lively homes, unfortunately, in our homes, that, that we don't even know what love is anymore. Well, as I read that word love, I realize from Scripture there are three choices that I can apply to that word love that he put there. There are three ways we can define that word love. As we look at it the very first, and unfortunately the way we use the word love most often in our world today is what would be called in the Greek this eros love, this eros love. I like to relate it back to whenever you were young and in high school. Some of you may still be there. I hope you are in your homes. But I remember back in high school as I was uh, searching out that particular woman that I would have for the rest of my life, I made some bad choices. I waited to see if my wife amen that. She was not one of those, by the way, but made some bad choices. As I look back at those choices that I had made, if I'm really honest with myself, they were made on the base of, basis of arrows love eros love because what is what is the eros love that that we could possibly say whenever we say husbands love your wives well that eros love is that physical sensual type of love it's that love for something out of what i can get out of it so paul could very simply be saying love your wives for what you can get from her yet i think if we read the rest of that passage we realize very quickly that's not the word that's used there. So we then could move to, to another type of love that's mentioned. Matter of fact, we've even named cities after it. And that's that word phileo. Phileo, the city. Philadelphia. What is the title of the city of Philadelphia? City of brotherly love. We could be saying, or Paul could be saying as he wrote this, he could be saying to us that what you want to do, husbands, is you want to love your wife in this brotherly love kind of sense. Would that be wrong, by the way? No. But what is brotherly love? Why do we have a city of brotherly love? What is the connotation behind that phileo type of love? That phileo type of love with this give and take, this mutual agreement, having things in common, this having friends. It's more of a friendly type love. We have friends in our life that have the same interests that we have, that same have the same type of lifestyle. We, we do things with people out of love. We say, I love you, brother. And most of the time we're saying, I really love you, but I like you a whole lot because of the things that you do. And it's this, it's this kind of give and, and, and take sort of relationship. And I think that should be present in, in a marriage. Don't get me wrong. Yet I don't believe that that's the word that, that Paul uses here. As a matter of fact, I know that's not the word that Paul uses here. Because I actually took time to go back and see what is the Greek word that, that he used here. Whenever he said, husbands, love your wives, what he really said was, husbands, agapeo, your wives. Agapeo is a word that, that we should be extremely, extremely familiar with. We should know this word inside and out. See, we talked about the eros love being what can I get out of the person that I'm loving. We talked about this phileo love, what can we give and take to make life really nice for us. But when you turn to this agapeo love, it is what can I give my wife to make her first. Not looking for anything in return. 
not desiring that anything come back my way. What am I willing to give regardless of what returns? You see, that is the word that's used in a, in a Bible verse. That if I were to hold a gun to your head and say, quote a Bible verse for me, some of you would go for the shortest verse in the Bible. He wept because that's the one you have memorized. The rest of you would probably reach back into the recesses of your memory all the way back to Bible school. And you would throw out there the, your most famous favorite verse that you cling to with all that you are. For God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Aren't you glad that God didn't say for God so erosed the world, or God so phileoed the world, but that he said, God so agapeoed the world. See, it is that self-denying, all-sacrificing, looking for nothing in return that Christ had when he crawled upon the cross for you. Do you realize when he crawled upon the cross for you, you did not even have the capability of loving him in return. See, he says, for while you were yet sinners, he died on a cross for your sin. See, when you're a sinner, you cling to the eros love. Maybe even the phileo love if you say you're a good person. But the one thing you do not cling to when you are a sinner is the agapeo love. Because you're a sinner, because you're in it for yourself, not for anyone else, and especially not for God. You see, it says, whenever Jesus crawled upon a cross for your sin, he did it realizing that you weren't even capable of loving him back. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad, as we heard sung this morning, that God loved us with the agapeo love that flows from a father's heart? See, without that love, none of us would be who we are today. See, Christ did it, not expecting anything return, in return. But he also did it, not expecting any of us to be deserving of it. He did it when you didn't deserve it. You were still a sinner. You didn't have to clean up your life to come to the cross. You didn't have to do away with the bad things to approach the cross. He said, come to the cross just as you are, and the blood that flows from my body will wash you as white as snow. It's agapeo love. But you know, he also crawled upon that cross, accepting the fact there would be those, maybe even sitting in this room, that would never accept that love. He did it knowing, knowing there would be those that would spit upon him, knowing there would be those that would take a cat of nine tails and beat his body so badly that there would be no flesh left. He knew it. He did it knowing that there would be those that would say, even today, there is no God. Saying today, God doesn't care for me. He knew it, knowing that the pouring out of his blood for some would mean nothing. See, that's agapeo love. That's giving love to the point that it hurts with the possibility of never being loved in return. See, whenever he looks at the husbands and said, husbands, love your wives, that's what he's saying. He's not saying do that which would get the most return. He's not saying do that thing that would make the house most friendly to be in. He's saying you do it even when you don't want to. You do it even when there's no return. You do it as if God himself is doing it because that's who is doing it through you. 
And you do it because God has commanded you to do it. It's that type of love that changes the marriage. It's that type of love that changes the church. It's that type of love that changes the world. And when Paul writes, love your wives, he's saying, gentlemen, put it all on the line. Don't leave anything on the table. Don't put yourself first. Put your wife first. Do those things that don't seem comfortable. Do those things that may bring you a little pain. Do those things sometimes that seem to make absolutely no sense. And continue doing those things regardless of the response. Just as he said, wives, you're to submit to your husbands, just like you submit to the Lord. He's saying, why? Uh, husbands, you're to love your wife just as Christ loved you. My question to you to start is, how did Christ love you? With outstretched arms, a body beaten so badly it was unrecognizable. He loved you to his death. Are you willing, husbands, to love your wives to the death? Because that's what Paul is calling us to do. How many of you would have decided to walk the aisle had you have known <laughs> that the commitment was unto death? That's why the Bible says we're joined together for life. Because it is unto death. When Paul says, love your wife, he means, as he says in the second half of verse 25, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, the church. Do you see the beautiful picture that is painted of the church in all of Scripture? It's this husband-wife relationship. It's this relationship of there being a bride and a bridegroom. There's this anticipation that we have as Christians, as the church, as the body of Christ, of the return, the return of Christ to get us, to, to call us home. There's that anticipation that there will be this ultimate joining together that we'll sit at the marriage feast that will be in his presence forever. This is the same anticipation he gives us about marriage. See, our loves for our wives are not predicated on their worthiness. Aren't you glad that God's love for you through his son Jesus Christ was not predicated on your worthiness? As I read this scripture, I thought back about my life before Christ. There was nothing in my life that would give me the inkling to hang my son upon a cross for me. Yet God saw down through the ages of time what I could be. And he loved me even though I was so unworthy. It's not, this love is not to be based on its reception, how the person receives that love. It's not to be given when it's convenient and convenient only. <laughs> it's not, it is to be given rather out of an all-consuming desire for what is best for her, no matter the cost, husbands. What does that do to the marriages we see in the world today? Quite honestly, the marriages are in the shape they're in today because of men are no longer men. Men have become passive. Men have no longer stepped out and taken the leadership responsibility one, because it seems to be the wrong thing to do, because the feminists stand up and says it is. But that's only part of it. The real reason men aren't leaders and men in their own homes is because it's inconvenient. It's not easy to decide that what's best for my wife or my family is for this Saturday 
for me to do something with them instead of play softball or go hunting or do the thing I want to do. I mean, I've worked hard all week. I deserve it. I need my downtime. I need the time for myself. It's hard sometimes to step up and make a decision that the entire family is not for and to say, you know, I hear you, but also understand the best thing for you and for our family and for the glory of God is that we do this thing. It's tough to step up and do that. Yet, men, you know what we're willing to do 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week? We're willing to do that in our job all day long. Many of us have risen to the position we are in our jobs because of our ability and our willingness to make the hard decisions. To do things that are not going to be friendly, that not everybody's going to agree with, but what is best for the company. To step out and make decisions sometimes that causes ourselves a little inconvenience and pain, but it's the best thing for the lives of those that we feed through the, through the business that we have or where we work. We'll make those decisions all day long. But when it comes to the, the greatest place, the place that God has set with the marriage, when it comes to the place that has the most impact on the world for eternity, we take a back seat. We take a back seat because we're not being the men God has called us to be. We're being the boys that we want to be. You want to change the marriage? Men change your life. Step up to the plate. When the pitcher's throwing fastballs that are hard to hit, stay in the box. When they call your number to run the football through the line and you're looking across the line and there's a whole herd of big guys on the other side that you know are looking to do nothing but to brutalize you as you come through, tuck the ball under your arm and run through them. See, what Paul's saying is, husbands, be men and do it like Christ did. See, all that Christ went through in any given moment he could have spoken one word and it all gone away. He could have called from heaven legions of angels to take care of any problem he had. Yet what did he do? He approached the slaughterhouse as a lamb, silent, silent on our behalf. He completely submitted even his physical well-being to his father for us. Whatever Paul says, husbands love your wives. He's saying, make it an all-consuming desire to do that's what, what that which is best for her. And it may require you to do things, husbands, that you don't want to do. Christmas time, shopping. You know why they put benches in malls? For husbands. <laughs> they put benches in malls for husbands. I go with Wendy sometimes and some friends and we'll go down to the outlet mall, which, by the way, I'm praying about the fact that I believe that's a creation of Satan, but we'll get back to that another time. But we'll get down to Myrtle Beach to the outlet mall. <laughs> you know what I tell Wendy as her and her, her girlfriends go off shopping and me and the other husbands, you know what I tell her as she heads off? Bring me the packages. I'll be right here. <laughs> I'll be right here and I sit and I hold the packages. Do you really think that that's what I want to be doing? <laughs> no, if you know me, that is not what I want. Does she know that's what I don't want to do? She's back there nodding her head. Yes, she absolutely knows that is not what I want to be doing. But sometimes, husbands, it requires us to do a few things we don't want to do. It also requires us sometimes to not do a few things we want to do. Anybody love to pack your Saturdays full of all the things you don't have time to do for during the week? Hunting, the fishing, the... Well, I was going to say work around the house, but that thought's never crossed my mind. All those things that we just don't have time in our week because we're so busy, we want to pack all those into a Saturday because we've got to be at church on Sunday. Sometimes, husbands, it's going to cause you to go, 
it's really not the thing that I need to be doing. I need to be doing what is best for my wife in this particular case. Sometimes, oftentimes, this love feels a little one-sided. See, I thought for sure I'd have a whole group of men jump up and say, hey, Amen. But I noticed there was a whole bunch of wives that came from one of those about the time I said it. But it does. I have to be honest with you. Wendy would admit it. Sometimes it feels very one-sided. Then I think about Christ. How one-sided did hanging up on a cross with the entire world ridiculing you feel? If when it says I'm to love just as Christ loved the church, I'll never have to love Wendy in the same regard that Christ had to love me. She'll never stand before me and ridicule me. She'll never do all those things that God's creation did to His only begotten Son. But sometimes it does, if we're honest, feel a little one-sided. What if Christ decided to love you in the same manner that you love your wife? That's the big question that jumped off the page to me. What if I was loved by Christ the same way I love Wendy? That's a scary question. See, would you still have the same opportunity for salvation that you do now? If Christ loved you the same way he loved your wife? Would you still be able to feel his presence because of his continued forgiveness? If he loved you the same way you love your wife? Would you know the joy of continual fellowship with the Almighty God if he chose to love you? the same way you love your wife. See, Ephesians 5, verse 26, he says this, that there was a purpose driven behind all of this love, all of these questions, and it says this, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Do you see how... Paul took the marriage relationship through the responsibility of leading right firmly upon the husband's shoulders where it belongs, where God put it in place, and said at the end of the day, there should be a destiny for your wife that you're leading to. And what is that destiny? That she be holy and without blemish. (laughs) I had to stop and think, what, what if Christ treated me in my desire to be holy, in my walk of holiness, the same way I treat my wife in her walk of holiness. Would I ever obtain the mark of Jesus Christ if he only loved me the way I love my wife and lead her spiritually? I'd have to say a resounding no. And if we're honest with ourselves, we, we recognize that. Yet the word says that if the leadership falls upon the sh- uh, shoulders of the husband, that leadership is not just in the physical well-being, but more importantly, in the spiritual well-being of that woman God has given you as a wife. See, spiritually, we've dropped the ball in a bigger way than we ever have physically husbands. Yes, women have had to go to work to make up our shortcomings in what we're supposed to do as men. It's not saying that it's not right for a woman to work, but the responsibility to provision for the family falls upon the husband of the family. In our day and time, I understand sometimes it takes two to make it. Our world is so perverse now that what you used to be able to buy off a week's salary, you can't buy off a month's salary now. And I understand that. Yet there are some that will allow their wife to be the sole provider 
so that they have time to do the things that they want to do. That is completely unacceptable physically. But spiritually, we're even worse off. We'll allow our wives to come to church when it's inconvenient for us because we have things to do. They'll come and they'll grow while we sit on the couch and watch TV at night because I'm just too tired to make it on a Wednesday night. Husbands, if you want to man up somewhere, man up spiritually. If you fix the spiritual, the physical will take care of itself. The fact that our churches have been founded and led by women who are doing what God's called them to do while men sit back and watch is an affront to God. It's a slap in the face. Many churches, especially rural churches like this, were started by women under a tree in their front yard out of a desire that their family come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior while the husband is not present. Husbands, it's time we step up to the plate. It's time we put God first. It's time we lead our wives towards holiness and a lack of blemish in their life. It's time we stop taking a second seat in that position. Very quickly, since we're out of time, Paul moved on to to verse 28 and he said this. He said, so husbands ought to love their own wives as they love their own bodies. There's two ways that you can apply this particular passage There's only one interpretation. There's a couple of applications. First, you could take this to mean you have the physical interest of your wife, the physical well-being of your wife in the forefront of your mind. And it says that husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. I'll be honest with you. Miss Wendy probably wouldn't appreciate me treating her physically like I treat my body sometimes. (laughs) She argues with me quite often about the fact that I don't even know who a doctor is in Wilmington anymore. It's been so long since I've been. There's, she argues sometimes because you know how sugar affects me, yet I'll eat it anyway and suffer the consequences. So she would probably not desire for me to treat her in the exact same manner. Yet that is part of the calling. That is part of the calling that we do those things that make life physically for our wives enjoyable. That it makes it so that she can live healthily. So that she can prosper physically. Yes, it requires us to get off the couch and go to work and earn a living. It requires us to pitch in and do things around the house. It requires us to do some things sometimes that we don't want to do physically to assist. Those are part of the requirements. Yet I think there's even more being said there in application by Paul for the second application. And the main point that he actually makes from that point on in the scriptures is he says that we should consider this union of marriage as making us one complete body together. So therefore, those things that we do to ourselves, such as deciding that we don't have time to go to the doctor and physically we're not doing very well because of it, not doesn't just affect me. It, it affects her because we are one body. So on the physical side, yes. But think about it spiritually. If you are joined together spiritually as one body, husbands, What is your spiritual health doing to your wife? What is your growth in Christ doing to your wife? Your decision you don't have time to read the Bible every day doesn't just affect you. It affects the other part of your body, your wife. Your desire not to listen to those things that God commands you to do because you don't agree with them doesn't just affect you. It affects the rest of your body, your wife. 
Your decision not to be active in doing that which Christ has called us to do, which is to share the good news of Jesus Christ with all of those around you, doesn't just affect you or the person that you're not willing to witness to, but it affects the other half of your body, your wife. Husbands, what if every time you picked up the scripture and read it, you were looking at the fact that you and your wife are one body and you were reading it not only for your personal spiritual growth, but to lead her down the same path. You see, because at the end of the day, I believe you're going to be held accountable for it. At the end of the day, you're going to be held accountable for that wife, that woman that God has given you and joined you together as one. Physically, yes, but more importantly, spiritually. Does your wife see Jesus in you? Does she see you loving her in such a way that all decisions you make in your home are based on what God would have. And when she doesn't agree with the decision, you're able to sit down with the Bible and say, I believe this is what God says we should do. And even if it's not a decision that's easy, you're doing what God's called you to do. Is she today more Christ-like than she was yesterday because of you, husband? If not, you failed. You've come short. You've missed the mark. Why? Because he even quotes there in that 30th verse when he says we're members of body of one flesh of his bones. We're members of his body. He goes on to 31 to quote all the way back into Genesis when it says, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. When you said I do, it meant you did forever. It meant you did together. And husbands, it means you did for her those things Christ did for the church. What did Christ do for the church? He saved it. He pointed it to his Father. He gave everything that he had that the church may be holy and without blemish. Husbands, are we doing that for our wives every day? If we're not, there's good news. There's good news. Not only is there salvation at the foot of the cross, there's forgiveness at the foot of the cross. A turn in your marriage starts with a turn in your heart. Where does a turn in your heart start? Humbly falling on your face before God and saying, I have sinned. I have not done that which is evident in the word towards my wife. I have not loved her as Christ loved me. I have not led her as Christ leads the church. And I do not have in my heart the interest of her spiritual well-being like I should. And you fall on your face before God, not caring what anyone else thinks other than God, and saying, God, forgive me. And then fill me with your Holy Spirit and lead me first and foremost towards your Son, Jesus Christ, that I might come to understand who He is if I'm not saved and become a child of God. And then let me grow each day so that I can help my wife walk the path that I'm on. This morning, husbands, I ask you, if Christ were to step into your space this morning and say, how have you loved your wife? What would be your answer? Could you look him in the eye and say, I have loved her just as you have loved me? If that's not the answer this morning is the time to fix that. To fix it by being open and honest with God at our time of invitation to ask for forgiveness. Trusting in the fact that he tells us in 1 John 1, 9, as we've been studying on Wednesday night, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that cleansing means it's an ongoing, ongoing cleansing.
So this morning, will you respond to God's Word in your heart? Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.